Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Delta Fawcett, who we learned looks far and wide, and sometimes even back in time, for design inspiration. More on that later in the episode, and you can browse their kitchen and bath fixtures at deltafaucet.com YHL. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we get real about open concept floor plans and spill why some people say this reno trend should end. We also make a cheap and easy update outside, and John gets his knickers in a knot over some new construction nearby. Hello. (laughs) You have to be louder than that. It's me. I'm Breathy Adele. I was wondering if after all these weeks you'd like to tune in to podcast number 43. Is it 42? 44. 44. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everyone. Well, what's new with me this week is a really easy project we actually both did, and it's a curb appeal thing. We redid our mailbox, and we actually redid our neighbor's mailbox with her, and we picked the mailboxes together because we thought it would look nice if they're both the same. They're about 10 feet apart, so unlike many people on the street who have a whole lot separating them, ours are on the same side. And it was so nice. She needed to update hers because she had an older mailbox, and her pole had the same problem our pole had, which was these crazy carpenter bees making it into Swiss cheese. Yes. So it was actually her idea to say, like, hey, do you guys want to update our mailbox and our mail post at the same time so they match yeah i was like sure i can look around and find something she's like yeah just look at what you like i'm sure i'll like what you like and you found these awesome posts on amazon actually of all places i did some digging guys and it saved us from having to do some literal digging (laughs) exactly oh i like that good work good wordplay there did you see what i did there essentially i found these metal mailbox posts I wasn't thinking these metal posts will be the way to forego digging. You I just thought, thought these are the way to stop bees. Right. The bees can't drill into the metal. It will solve that problem. They'll be sturdy. They'll hold the mailbox fine. So even when I was ordering this, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to be hard or easy to install. But it had really good reviews on Amazon. It was a really pretty sort of oil rub bronze, like a dark. I would say like almost a dark copper. Mm. It's got the. We have different eyes. A dark brown. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a bronze color to me. It's not copper. It's not. I I rescind the copper. I just meant it was warmer than a a bronze is. Right. Oil rub bronze is more like a black. And this is more More of like a a true bronze. (laughs) Maybe not as oil rubbed. So anyway, they're metal to solve the bee problem. And also they're very sturdy. They're nice clean lines. And they're this deep sort of brownish gray color. Very neutral. And they were 99 bucks. We were able to reuse our black mailbox. She wanted a new one. So we got her a matching one to ours. I think that was 25 bucks on Amazon. So for her, it was like $125 all in, $100 for us. And the best part was we realized we already have a post in the ground. And the post is fine except for all the holes under the mailbox, but that part is not sticking around because what did we do? I just broke out my reciprocating saw and I just lopped off the top of the mailbox. (laughs) Well, 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 I did remove the metal mailbox itself. And then I cut basically the top half of the post off, leaving just, I think, maybe about two feet or so. Yeah, I would say two and a half. I don't think if you only had a foot sticking up, it would be very secure at all. It's like, essentially, picture this like a sheath. The metal mailbox slides over the wooden post that you've cut down so it can slide right on top. 
And that's it. Because the post was just a standard four by four post. And that's what a lot of these metal or plastic mailbox posts are designed to slide over. So if you've already got that wood one in the ground, like you already have most of it in place. And then all that was left to do was get numbers. And we went to Home Depot and just kind of stood there in person looking at them because I didn't want cheap little plastic stickers. I didn't want something too big or too small. So just standing there and staring at them, I was able to choose these great metal numbers. And the thing I liked most about them was they didn't screw. They were adhesive so that they would stick to any surface it said, including metal. And so I just grabbed them. They were five bucks each and they look really nice, like much nicer than a flat sticker. They're chunky and dimensional. We keep waiting for other neighbors to say like, hey, where'd you get that mailbox? Because I'm going to get one too, because I have a soft campaign going on. And by soft campaign, I mean, I've done it to our mailboxes and I'm waiting for others to catch (laughs) on. And you've taken no other action. Right. I'm waiting for it to sort of spread down the street because they just look great. And I love that they're not the lighter plastic colored ones. We've noticed that those in the neighborhood seem to get mildewy. Like the white ones? Yeah, they're like white plastic. There's something about plastic and mildew. It's more porous or it grabs it more. Metal is slicker, so it doesn't seem to stick to it as much. So it seems to be a really good solution so far and we're psyched. So we'll put links to the post and the mailbox and I guess even the numbers if we can find them online in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. I believe the post does come in other colors if this like bronzy color does not fit with your house scheme. Right. Well, what's new for me this week is actually kind of a gripe. Uh Uh-oh, here goes John. Yeah, I'm going to put on my grumpy old man pants. Are they stretchy? (laughs) They are still stretchy. I had to get new jeans, but I found stretchy ones at Target. John, never not wearing stretchy pants. Yes, exactly. Well, anyways, my gripe is about storage units, which is kind of weird. I will admit it's going to make me sound like a hypocrite, but here's the backstory. (laughs) Good thing you got it out out front of that. Disclaimer, hypocrisy coming at you right now. But this is how it came up. So I have noticed around our town in the last couple weeks, there's lots of new construction where they've like cleared some trees and they're putting new buildings up. And a little bit of me gets excited when I see something new coming because I'm like, oh, is it a new restaurant? Yeah, we're always like, ooh, is that going to be a store we really love and maybe something we don't have on this side of town that will make our lives better? Yeah, like something the kids will have fun. Like actually a running joke whenever we see new place being built is I hope it's going to be a Best Buy. Because teenage John or like, what do you say, middle school John? Oh, you know, teenage John. Yeah, like 15, 14, me and my friend, like our favorite thing to do, especially once we could drive, was go to Best Buy and walk around and shop for CDs. So growing up, whenever this was happening, when something was going up, my friend and be like, I hope it's Best Buy. <laughs> Even though you already had a Best Buy. The you Best Buy to- was a little bit far from our <laughs> house. We wanted a closer Best Buy. <laughs> Anyways, so now whenever we see something new being built. Sharon I'm always like, like, John, you hope oh, it's a Best Buy? hope it's a Best Buy. Which, update, John hasn't probably been in a Best Buy for the last I was years. in a Best Buy last month buying a microwave for my grandmother. Thank oh, you very much. Oh, that's true. He sometimes goes. But it's not the, the stocking he did as a child. I don't buy my CDs there anymore. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Anyways, my disappointment and my gripe is not because these places were not Best Buys. It's because three of these locations where I've seen construction going on lately are becoming storage places. You know, like those Cube Smart or Extra Space or I don't know whatever they're called, but the places, you know, where you rent a storage unit, you put all your like excess stuff. And so I was a little bit frustrated that like what could have been a cool restaurant or a cool new store or a place to take the kids is just going to be storage. And now like in our town, there's just going to be more of these storage units around. So like I was a little sad for that being the reason these like lots had to be cleared. But then it also like got me, this is where the hypocrisy is coming in, (laughs) where I was kind of like, why do we need all this stuff? Like, why are we at the point as 
Americans or whatever, where we're like hoarding so many things. Says the man with all the old boards and pieces of wood in his shed. Exactly. Just like a wood hoarder. Says the woman who has an attic full of like pillows and frames that she's not using. For the beach house. I'm decorating another house. Mm. I have a reason. Yeah, sure. I'm going to build something eventually with all that scrap wood, I promise. That's right. We have we have plans. I Well, I think this ties back into that conversation we had about minimalism back at the beginning of the year, where we sort of watched that minimalism documentary and we said we were sort of like, want to be minimalist. Like, I think yes. we generally want to cut down on what we own and not hang on to things that we're not using or that we're not needing. Well, what I think we're doing is since that, this year, we have been really thoughtful about what we're purchasing and why. And if I'm trying to get something for the beach house, John is the first person to say, like, we don't need a full-size bed, no matter how cool it is. We want a queen. Or we don't need those frames because we don't even know where we're going to hang them. Like, he's he's reining me in. And I think in the same way he's trying to organize the scrap wood so that he can use it. You know, you're moving towards having yeah. less. I am trying to organize the attic and put things in bins, literally labeled like kitchen stuff for the beach, cleaning stuff for the beach, just everything I have extras of instead of throwing away and rebuying them, which is also totally wasteful. I'm trying to organize them. And I'd like to think in my head that when we have the beach house, our attic will almost be empty. I hope so. I'm really working towards the attic only being for Christmas stuff. I think that's totally reasonable. I have the tree and the ornaments up there because we're not going to store those like downstairs. Right. And I realize there are totally legitimate and useful reasons to have a storage unit. I might, you know, my parents used one when they were moving down here. Uh, my old office used one when they were downsizing stuff. Like, I know that it is not a blanket statement. Like, why do people have so much stuff? <laughs> but three new ones going up sort of within a mile radius seems like a lot. I feel like it was like rubbing in her face like, hey... You people that live in this area, you own too much stuff. Yeah. As I sit here looking out of my shed, which is basically my own personal storage unit. Right. John has, John has one of those cubes full of storage. It's just called the shed. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, I don't, I don't know where this is going, except for me, it's been a reminder about how I want to continue to be mindful about how much that we're buying and whether we're using it. And if we're not using it, like, let's just not hang on to it just in case. Just in case the beach house, maybe. But. I know, but I'm still trying to be really choicey. Choicey. <laughs> choicey. <laughs> choosy. <laughs> choosy and horsey. I got those mixed. <laughs> I'm going to be choosy about what I'm saving. You know, like saving all these things you half like or they kind of work or they're half good for the space. It's wasteful. That's how I'm trying to look at it. Like don't hoard it forever in the attic because that's really more wasteful than giving it use. Right. So end rant. Did that qualify as a rant? Was it angry enough to be a rant? It was some, somewhat angry until we got to horsey-jorsey. <laughs> okay, but I know it's going to lift my spirits. Quizzing me. I got last week's right. I'm on a roll. I'm going to work really hard on this week. This sounds like overconfidence. So in this little game show portion of the podcast... I like to quiz Sherry on a certain topic. I've got a list here in front of me in which some things are real and some are fake. And as we go, you're going to have to tell me what is real and what I made up. Got it. Are you ready for your category? Yes. It comes from a little thing called Fixer Upper. I've heard of it, yes. It's this television show. Are you familiar with television? I am familiar with television. And yes, I think the whole world has heard of Fixer Upper. A little couple named Chip and Joanna Gaines. They seem to be everywhere these days. They've got their show. They've got a magazine. They've got a bakery, a store. They probably have like a line of personalized jet skis at this point. I don't know. <laughs> little known fact. I'm inserting this because many people don't know this. They sent us a reader redesign many years ago and they were on our website as just a feature of someone who did a makeover. It was their kitchen. It was so many years ago. 
Spoiler alert, I tried the email to get them on the podcast. I don't think it works anymore. (laughs) It's like 10 years old. But yes, we are familiar with Chip and Joanna, and they were on Young House Love. We'll put the link in the show notes. Basically, they owe their success to us is what we're saying. not in the least. But anyway, what are we talking about? Well, we're actually talking about their paint line, because did you know that they have a line of paints now called Magnolia Home by Joanna Gaines? Yes. Premium Interior Paints by Kills. Oh, I didn't know it was by Kills. Yeah, but I thought I knew that was they interesting. had a paint line. Yeah. And there are 150 colors. And as someone who is very interested in names and paint color names, yes. I thought you would really appreciate this list because I would say this collection is one of the most on brand named collections I've ever seen. Like, like Ship Lap Symphony. Not that. <laughs> Better than that. Okay. But I wanted to. Ship Lap Palooza. Yes, there is one that is just called Ship Lap. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> they didn't have to add flair to it. So I thought I would give you a list of paint colors and you tell me whether these are actually part of their collection or not. Got it. Reclaimed wood. For sure. Yes. A muted smoky brown. Hmm. Vintage weather vane. It's real and it's like oxidized black, like a bronzy color. Yes, a warm charcoal gray. Oh. Wrought iron. It's real and it's black. It is fake. Oh, that was a good one. Silos white. Yeah, they have those silos at their shop. Yes. Yes, it is real. And it is white. Yeah. Texas summer. That's fake. You made it up. That is real. It's aqua and minty blue, slightly muted with gray. Huh. These are very on brand. Right? Chipper. Yes. Nope, that's a fake one. Oh. Secondhand find. Yes, and it's green. A muted peacock blue. Huh. Demo day. Yep, and it's tan. It is real. Deep, dusty sea green. Oh. I don't know if I'd want to paint something called demo day. I don't know. It's like the wrong step of the project. Like, I just finished Demo Day and right. I'm painting. Right. I know you're not supposed to pick a paint color by its name, but let's be honest. Oh, I heard from someone who said, I found the perfect color for my front door, but it was named Sliced Cheese, and I refused to paint my door that color. I chose a different <laughs> color that I liked less, because I wasn't going to be like, do you like my door? It's Sliced Cheese. Um, Big Reveal. Yeah, for sure. Nope. Oh, that's a good one. See, they should kick out Demo Day and put a Big Reveal. Yeah, that would be a good switch. Flea Market. Yes, brown. No. Doesn't exist? Doesn't exist. Oh. And your last one, antiquing. Yes, and it's like cream. Yes, it's a taupe, a taupey brown. I wonder if they named them themselves. I'm sure they had input on it. I mean, naming 150 things is hard, though. It is hard. I think it would be so fun to name paint. I know. You're probably super jealous right now. I know. There'd be like 15 different tans called burger's arm, burger's leg, burger's back, burger's ear, ear of burger. Be a really fun uh, what's not quiz for you down the road. <laughs> um, I'll put a link to the website that has all 150 colors on there so you guys can check them out. And if anyone has a correct email address <laughs> and wants them on the podcast, give me a contact. I tried their publicist, and essentially, if I'm not the Today Show, I couldn't get through him. Basically, this whole game is just uh, some pandering. Yeah. <laughs> I just think they'd be an interesting interview. I mean, they submitted to our website many moons ago. They've forgotten us, Sherry. That's true. We're in their past. Well, they still seem nice. I think they would oh, do yeah. I have to get past the publicist. Don't hold your breath, people, is what we're saying. We're trying. Just not succeeding. I've also tried with Martha Stewart. <laughs> also Snoop Dogg. Didn't Martha's person write you back and ask if she would need to have makeup and hair done? Yes. It was like, what What does she need for this interview? And I was like, oh, no, it's over Skype. She could be in her pajamas. And they were like, Skype? I ain't got time for that. Also, guys, this is an exclusive. One of the housewives said yes to me. I just cannot get her to schedule it. But I have a yes. Sherry, someone who says yes but then doesn't schedule it is saying no. (laughs) It could happen. I'm still trying. 
Well, let's shift gears because I, well, actually, I guess I have another thing to gripe about. Look at that. <laughs> Look at you. Back to things I want to complain about. No, this isn't really a gripe. This is an article that I pinned a long time ago, and I keep coming back to it because the headline really kind of like stopped me when I saw it. It's an article from House Beautiful entitled, Why We Need to Just Stop with Open Floor Plans. And so, yes, it's kind of like an open floor plan, open concept hating article. I wasn't sure at first why I was so interested in it, but then I realized it's because I kind of agree with a lot of it, but at the same time feel like I've relied on open concept a lot in our houses. Right. We open doorways and widen walls or even knock down walls to make our small broken up floor plans feel more like they have a better flow and let the light in. Right. But I think, and maybe where the person who wrote this article is coming from, like I'm feeling a little bit of open concept fatigue Like they say, almost every design show you see, like the first step is like, well, let's just knock down all the walls as if that's a universal solution for every house and every family is to just like, let's make it all one big room. So they outline a lot of the cons, actually 10 cons that they see to why we should let go of open floor plans as a universal solution. But before we go into the negative stuff, we should establish the pros. In all of our houses, I think one of the main reasons that we have chosen to open up some walls or widen doorways is because we have always had these older homes that have eight foot ceilings. And in many cases, the rooms are not all that large. So by connecting the rooms better with these more open passageways, it just helps everything feel bigger. Like it's a way that we have made our homes have better flow and feel a little bit larger than they are. Right. In our first house, we widened the doorway between the kitchen and the living room. And the kitchen and the dining room. And the kitchen and the dining room, you're right. In our second house, we added a big doorway in a formerly completely closed wall because our kitchen had no natural light. And I think in this house, it was really more about flow and sight lines and less about size and making the rooms feel bigger. I mean, we're lucky that the rooms in this house are generously sized for the most part. I mean, they're not like ginormous, like some new construction homes. But we really opened the wall that we did here between our living room and our kitchen so that the kitchen didn't feel as closed off in the living room. We did kind of want that open concept feel where the people hanging out in the living room feel connected to the people hanging out in the kitchen. And like, I can watch the kids while we make dinner. Right. I think it's really functional for us to have the sight line. And also it was just balanced to me. We had one small doorway all the way on the right side between those two yeah, rooms. Yeah, Sherry hates things that are off center, guys. I just was like, we can make a big wide opening between them in the center and then do the built-in bookcases on either side in the living room. So a lot of it added storage, it added function, it added sight lines, it, it added this open feeling. But the distinction is when we were renovating, this whole wall was down. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah. We had the moment where we could have just like made this one big room, like truly open concept. Right. Essentially an opening that could have been 14 feet is I think eight feet. Right. So it's still nice and open, but it has the distinct feeling of moving from one room to another room. Yeah. It still has some visual separation. Right. Exactly. We probably don't need to go on and on about the pros of an open concept. So let's turn to the cons. Well, what they say are the cons. What they say are the cons. Some of which I agree with, some of which I disagree Exactly. With. Like, I think it was a little bit of a low blow to include smell on the list. Oh, I didn't even see that. What did they say? They said if it's open, everything smells more? Kind of. They were saying that basically scent carries far in an open space. So it's great if you're like baking cookies or have a candle going. But if you're like cooking fish, oh. you know, which I'm like, okay. Well, if you have a doorway, it's going to go through the doorway. Haven't they watched the cartoons where the scent like wafts in a window? There's a pie. I think that's exactly what the writer of this is picturing. <laughs> that's how I picture scents moving around. The cartoon waft. 
But let me start at the top of their list and we can go through. Um, first, they said everything is a focal point. When everything's open, you don't know where to rest your eye because you have so many different room functions competing at once. I can see that being true, but I've also seen open floor plans that are beautifully done and you know where to look. I mean, think about those like HGTV dream homes. Many of those are very open and the designers do a great job in making you look at the fireplace, making you look out the window. Right. I think that'll be the answer to a lot of these things is I think they're not necessarily permanent cons, but they're things that make them more challenging. I mean, we hear lots of questions from people who live in some of these newer construction homes that have like these giant lofted ceilings and these big open foyer, atrium, living room, kitchen spaces who struggle a lot with how to decorate that because you're not sure like where do my rugs go and how how tall should my my curtains be? Yeah. Yeah. I think it dishes out a lot of challenges that we're not always used to dealing with when you have like basically four walls to give you some constraints. Yeah, I agree. Um, For instance, they point out number two, that painting is a pain because you don't have clear boundaries of walls. It might be harder to paint a space, you know, or they all have to be the same color. Right. I've heard that where you don't know where to stop. And I've seen some people do like a piece of molding and then they stop at the molding. I've seen some people not do molding. They do like a tape line and the color just changes on the wall. I can see how that would be sort of less obvious. Well, and also when you have those like two story rooms that are huge and open, like you may not be able to paint it yourself. Right. Yeah. We have friends who had to hire someone because it was such tall ceilings. This one I thought was interesting. A surprising lack of flexibility. They say you'll often discover that the only place you can put your sofa is smack in the middle of the room and the TV can only be placed between the one short space of wall between the windows. Yeah, I can see that. My best friend, you know, I've I've talked about it on earlier podcasts that she moved like 10 houses away and it's the most fun. And I've been helping her decorate her house. And when she moved in, she and her husband were so sure they were going to knock down this sort of short wall between two French doors that separates their living room from their front room. It's like sort of a more formal formal living living room. room. And there are people like us who are like, we don't need a formal living room and another living room. We should knock this wall down, right? It sounds obvious. But what they've discovered after living there, which was one of the things we encouraged them, like, yes, you don't seem like formal living room people, but just put your furniture down and see how it goes. In living there, they realized that little span of wall between those French doors that they wanted to knock down is a great spot for the TV. And if they knocked it down, the couch and the TV would be so far away from each other in this giant living room. Right. And that creating these two spaces actually makes more sense. There's one we always do game nights and hang out in, and there's one more casual room with a sectional and the TV. And that that wall makes that possible. And if they had knocked it down hastily, I think it would be a lot harder to live in, not easier. Yeah, and actually that front room is the one we shared on the blog recently that Sherry helped make over. And the wall they were talking about taking down is the one that had a big leaning mirror on it. Right. My encouragement to anyone at home who is thinking, oh, geez, I'm listening to this podcast and I don't know if I should knock it down. I was so sure I wanted that wall done and I'm now I'm not sure. Just live with it a little bit. I mean, when we were moving in here, we debated opening our living room to our office. And now that's a terrible idea. It's where we put our TV. The separation is great. I don't like the office to be so close to the living room. We work from home. It's nice to have the office in the front of the house. Then when we're done working, we come to the back of the house where I can get my snacks in the kitchen. You can hang out in the living room. I put the fire on. It's just you have to just live with it. So if you're not sure, don't worry. Just wait until you're sure. That's probably where some of this author's frustration comes from because we have the opportunity to live in this and make that decision so that we weren't busting down that wall before we realized that we needed it. But a lot of these makeover shows and stuff like they're just coming in and taking everything out before you necessarily have the time to really sit and think, is this going to improve the way the house works? 
works or is it going to make it harder? Right. And I guess if that's our advice for someone who lives in a home that is not open concept and they're contemplating opening it up or taking down walls, we should also probably address folks who already have an open concept and what they can do if they're struggling. Yeah, I think if you love it, perfect. That's the goal, right? We're not saying that an open concept doesn't work. We're just saying it could be a design challenge. So if you've solved the design challenge part, you're Give us all your secrets. Yeah, tell us all about it. But if you're struggling with it, what we hear, especially from this con list, we're going to ignore smells because that's stupid, (laughs) but we'll pay attention to things like noise and also just furniture placement, like how to make things feel cozy, how to define your zones, how to make it not feel cavernous and echoey. And so my suggestion for that would be use textiles. A lot of cushions, a big rug. A rug will do two things. It will absorb sound and make things feel cozy, but it will also define a space. A rug will often help you in an open floor plan know where to put the back of the couch or know where to put the chairs. It's creating sort of a zone within that room. Also, curtains are another way to add the textile. They add softness. They add height. They fill in those big walls so that they feel cozier and less echoey and that they also absorb the sound. So those are some great ways. Just think textiles like blankets, even a tapestry or a woven wall hanging if you're dealing with echoing, the more fabric you can add to a room, the better. And I would say also, don't be afraid of big scale. I think that is one of the challenges as you bring your small furnishings into these new open concept homes and they immediately feel shrunken because they don't fill up these tall ceilings or these big wide walls. And so I think that does mean that you might have to put a little bit more money into buying things that fill up the space better, whether it's big art, bigger lamps or light fixtures, bigger furniture, even tall bookshelves or things that can fill up some of that ceiling height, but also maybe add some separation to spaces. Yes. And I think on top of that, when things are open, you have to picture every single thing. You know how they were saying everything's a focal point? Every single thing counts visually. So if your dining table, your kitchen, and your living room are open, all that furniture visually counts and could be perceived to the eye as clutter. So if you have a living room and you think, oh, I probably could use two more chairs, stop and think, would a sectional solve that better? Fewer, bigger pieces add up to less visual clutter and fill the space better. Same thing with your dining room. Could a big bench on one side solve it so you don't have a lot of busy backs of chairs? You know, could you do something where your buffet and your hutch has a big mirror over it instead of a frame collage of 15 different pictures that might look busier to the eye than one big object? Well, and if worse comes to worst, you can just do what our friends did. Yeah, they had a lofted area over their living room that was one of those, like, you went up the stairs and you could look over the balcony to the living room, just really open floor plan. You know, at night, if they were downstairs watching TV, they felt like the sound was carrying all the way up into the kids' bedrooms and waking them up. And they also didn't love the loss of heat. They felt like their house was inefficient energy-wise. And so they literally hired an architect, and they built a room over their living room. And so it became standard height ceilings. I think they're still a little taller. No, they're still like like 9 or 10 foot ceilings. Yeah, they basically took a two-story open room and sliced it into two separate functional rooms. And then it cut out on the heat problem and the noise problem. So stuff stopped carrying upstairs, and they're much happier with the whole house because of that. And it does not feel small. No, it still feels really The room still feels big. Yep. But I am going to go out on a limb. I'm going to put my foot down, okay? You ready for this? Uh-oh, here You're it goes. You're going to hate me for saying this. Here it goes. I don't think any average American home, like suburban home, needs to have ceilings like any taller than nine, maybe 10 feet. See, I'm on the opposite of that. I'm a do what you love in your own home. Well, yes. So if you love a tall ceiling or if you live in like a cool downtown loft that just like they converted a factory and it has tall ceilings. Well, yeah, of course, yes. Uh, plenty of disclaimers to my statement, but you know- 
We have one spot in our house with a tall ceiling, which is right over the stairs, because obviously the stairs like need height so you can walk up them. And it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, it was hard to paint. <laughs> it was hard to paint. Like I didn't want to get like scaffolding to try to like hang something up there. So it's I know just we kind want a, a lantern zone. or some sort of light fixture, but we're like it's like twenty feet so from much where work. I'm standing. <laughs> So, yes, I would prefer to have something taller than eight-foot ceilings, but I don't think I need, like, a two-story living room. I don't know. Sound off, everyone. Tell John you like storage units and you think he's mean about ceilings. Ask why is John so grouchy this episode? (laughs) Okay, well, I will put a link to this article in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast if you want to read all the things on the list as to why they think we just need to stop with open floor plans. And you know what? Feel free to disagree. Um, Before I find another thing to rant about, we're going to take a quick break. You guys heard earlier that this week's episode is brought to you by Delta Faucet, who connected us with one of their senior designers so we could learn a little more about what goes into creating a faucet or a showerhead. Yeah, his name's Seth Fritz, and he told us how their design team is constantly looking for jumping off points for new products, whether it's studying how customers actually use their sinks or going on sightseeing trips to discover new inspiration. He was even saying some products, like their new Zero line, are inspired by old school design styles. Here's what he told us. You know, mid-century modern is something that we're constantly looking at for inspiration. It's such a powerful design aesthetic and it's lasted for so long. And you see it everywhere in our trend spotting right now. The beauty in Zura is that if you look at the handle, it's a split finish. It's an all matte black faucet. And then it has a chrome little accent handle. And that's straight out of mid-century modern where, you know, if you think of the Eames shell chair where you have that beautiful fiberglass chair and then you have those metal legs or the wood legs, you know, they, they have all those variations on it. And that's really what that inspiration was drawn from. That's so cool. Now I didn't know it, but now I want to design faucets. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Job's taken. <laughs> if you want to see that cool split finish for yourself, you can check out the entire Zura bath collection and all of their other designs at deltafaucet.com YHL. I'm looking in Sherry's eyes trying to figure out if her digging is something about an oil or a cream. It has nothing to do with skin tags. I can promise you that. Gross. Why did you have to bring it up? This week, my we're digging is an object that can be hard to find and frustrating if you're looking for it. It is extra long curtains. Shower curtains? Nope. Window curtains. Oh, regular curtains. I like extra long shower curtains too, but that's a story for another day. And I know I say that word weird. I hear it all the time. I guess some people say curtains. Curtains. It sounds very strange to me. I don't know if it's Jersey, New York, something northern well, you also happening. Do Manhattan. No, button. It's, it's not how I say it. Manhattan button curtain. It's succinct. It's crisp. It's just like missing a syllable. Anyways, one of my friends was looking for curtains for her new house and she was saying, I am really struggling to find anything that's taller than the 86 inch sort of standard curtain height. It's what they typically sell at places like Target, World Market, just anywhere you look at curtains in a store when you're pushing your cart. Generally speaking, they're usually in that 85, 84, 86 range. And the problem that I have with that, along with everyone else, even in eight foot ceilinged rooms, which is standard height. We're not talking about these lofted rooms anymore. The 84, 86 inch curtains were too short. They couldn't be hung high and wide over the windows, which everyone knows is sort of my favorite way to make the windows seem bigger and make the whole room feel taller. 
They would either look like high waters, like they couldn't dust against the ground, which is a curtain looks very rich and luxurious when it just barely touches the ground or almost touches the ground. But when it's like a few inches off the ground, it can look like... Unintentional. Right, like shrunken pants. It's like a little bit embarrassing. Capris, the capri curtains. (laughs) Capri curtains are not a thing. You know, this is not to say that short curtains don't have a place. I love a cafe curtain in a kitchen, for example. Sometimes you have a baseboard heater or some reason the curtains can't go to the ground. But if you have room for the curtains to go to the ground, but your stores are not selling you curtains that can go to the ground, it can be very frustrating. But fear not, I have hunted down a bunch of them for you. Since my friend was looking for them, I was Googling all around. And I was thinking, this needs to be shared for anyone else who's struggling with long curtains. So the first place that I love to look is West Elm or Pottery Barn. Not only do their curtains come in two lengths, they often come in three or even four lengths. So if you're looking for 101 inch curtains, you can find them there. If you're looking for just 96 or 95 inches, that's usually what the sweet spot for us in this house, 98, 95, 96. Any eight-foot ceiling room that allows you to hang the rod pretty close to the ceiling and their curtains flow all the way down the wall and onto the ground. Another resource for them that has been great has been Wayfair. If you go on Wayfair, you can even search by length. I did 96-inch curtains and I found a bunch. And then the last place that I think a lot of people know about as obvious, but if they're not close to your house, it's nice to have these other resources. But of course, there's always Ikea. They have those 101-inch ones, 96-inch ones. They do them in velvet, cotton. My only tip for Ikea ones is they shrink more than any curtain I've ever bought anywhere else. They often say 5% shrinkage, which is, I mean, inches of shrinkage on the curtain. So what I do when I get washable cotton curtains from them, I pre-wash them before I hang them so that once they get dirty after living with them and I wash them, I don't then realize that I wish I could lower my rod by five inches because they've shrunk five inches. Yeah, definitely don't hem them too before you've washed them. Yeah, I did that once. Big mistake. Yes. Then you got your nice capri curtains. Exactly. Not a good look. And I'll do a mood board of curtains that I'm loving right now that are longer lengths and all those resources in the show notes. So if you go to younghouselove.com slash podcast, you can find long curtains in case you're looking like my friend. They're hard to find, but they're not impossible. And this week I'm digging a book. It's a book that I actually read several months ago, but has been on my mind a lot recently. It's entitled, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. An uplifting title. Yeah, I don't know if that's the exact inflection the author intended. I read it as, so you've been publicly shamed. So you've been publicly shamed. Uh, It's by a guy named John Ronson. And I learned about this book because he was interviewed on a podcast that I listen to frequently called Reply All. And I will put a link to that episode in the show notes along with the actual book itself. Because if you're someone who doesn't prefer to read, you enjoy the audio arts, then you might just enjoy listening to this podcast version of it. But basically, the book is about people who have found themselves in the middle of some big online shaming. For example, one of the stories he tells in the book is of this woman. uh, Her name is Lindsay Stone, who you guys might remember like a few years ago, she was caught up in this online outrage because she had posted a picture of herself at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery next to a sign that said silence and respect. And she looked to be screaming and was flipping the bird, which she should not have done. And it basically made her the object of basically the entire Internet's ire. She got all these hateful comments, people calling her work. She eventually lost her job over it. All these things that happened to her because the internet decided this one thing made her a bad person. And I mean, when you hear that story, yes, like you're kind of like, well. What a jerk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kind of, she deserved it, right? But the book is really interesting because they tell this story and a couple others where the author interviews her and learns a bit more about the backstory and learns about the lasting effect that this 
one poor choice that she made had on her life. Because like she worked at a place that helped adults with learning disabilities. Like she, when you learn her biography, like she sounds like a really good person, but she did this thing and it happened to catch the attention of the internet. And because the way the internet works, it caught on and just spread like wildfire and basically like ruined her life for a little while. I mean, I don't know what's up with her now. I haven't checked in with Lindsay. But the book is really interesting because it tells a few of these stories and also really kind of shines a light on the weird kind of mob culture of the internet lately. I share it now because I've been thinking a lot lately how, you know, the internet, like YouTube comments, have always been an interesting place. Right. Well, when people are anonymous, they're not always kind. Well, and also just when you don't know the person on the other end, like even if they're not anonymous on Facebook, you know, people get in these debates and arguments and name calling and all that stuff. It's because I think it's easy to reduce one another to just like the two or three sentences that we said on a picture. Right. And not stop to think that there's like a whole person behind that that is multifaceted that may not match what that comment indicates. Right. You know? Yeah, well, we all make mistakes and we all make bad choices. And I think the book was interesting because it was sort of showing how in certain instances, the punishment didn't fit the crime. Exactly. That's a perfect way of putting it. That's a lot about what this is. And, you know, I'll say it's a little bit of a scary book to read for anyone. I mean, obviously, we do a lot online, but like the people that they're showing are just like private people who just like have a personal Facebook page or whatever. But a weird sequence of events made them like internationally known and internationally hated. Oh, yeah. One girl was on a plane when it all happened and she landed and got off the plane and only then realized that she had gone from anonymous person to like public scorn figure number one. Right. And so it's just a really fascinating read and I think an eye-opening read for anyone who uses the internet. Just maybe I should take a beat before I judge what I read someone say because that may not be perfectly representative of their character as a whole. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Again, it's, so you've been publicly shamed? (laughs) Or, so you've been publicly shamed? That was terrible. (laughs) I didn't know where to go. (laughs) I joked. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. We're taking next week off for spring break, but we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And if your ears are feeling lonely next week, we've got 10 months worth of past episodes to dig through. While it's hard to pick favorites, some good oldies I'd suggest are number two, seven, and 20. Also number 12, because it has a rap in it. And keep telling us what you do while you listen. Like Mrs. V's Chaos on Twitter, who listened while doing the flu laundry in her house. Hope everyone's feeling better. And check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode, like our new bee-proof mailboxes. And a link to that old reader redesign by Joanna Gaines. Later. Bye. We're not worried about, like, weird rot or bee sting or, you know, bumblebee holes. Carbon derby holes. (laughs) (laughs) Other holes. Other bee holes. Beehives. A constant supply of honey.